0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the Book of Acts, chapter 25. The Apostle Paul, imprisoned for his Christian teachings, appeals to his Roman citizenship and requests to be tried before Caesar in Rome. The new Roman governor, Porcius Festus, arranges for Paul to present his case before King Agrippa and Bernice, during which Paul passionately shares his personal journey of conversion and defends his Christian faith. This chapter underscores that intricate interplay between Roman authority, Jewish opposition, and Paul's unwavering commitment to the way. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, August 30th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota, As always, Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. They also offer speakers to come and talk to your congregation. I happen to know that because I'm in the process of organizing a speaker to come and speak to my congregation. So if that's something you're interested in, well, it's getting close to stewardship months and mission months. So uh, maybe check them out. Again, that address is lhfmissions.org. But this morning, I'm pleased to welcome as a uh, first-time guest with me as a host, the Reverend Andrew Yeager. He's the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church of Preble in Decatur, Illinois. Uh, Good morning, Pastor. Did I get all that right?
1: Good morning, Pastor. Yeah, it's Indiana, but uh, close, close enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indiana. Well, thank you for that. I'll definitely want to change that. I guess I was thinking Decatur, Illinois, because that was uh, fairly close to where my uh, vicarage was, but you're in Indiana. Well, good morning then, anyway. Welcome back to the show. Sorry for that. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, St. Paul's Lutheran Church uh, in the the Preble, I guess, neighborhood of Decatur. Sure,
1: we're a uh, we're a very rural congregation, uh, about twenty minutes south of Fort Wayne, and uh, a great congregation of uh, Christians who um, love the Word and the sacraments. We've just celebrated our hundred fiftieth anniversary, actually last Saturday. So, uh, and I've been the pastor here for about five years.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, excellent. Well, I'm uh, glad to have you on the show, and I'm glad that you're able to take some time out to discuss the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 25 today. Uh, Before we dive into the text, though, what we'd like to do on the program is begin with prayer, and I invite you to start our time together off appealing to the Lord.
1: Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, bless the study of your word that your people may receive it to the salvation of their souls
0: Well, it looks like we accidentally lost our guest. I'm sure that he is continuing to pray for us until at least he figures out that his microphone isn't working. Oh, goodness. Well, we'll hopefully get him back on the line. Pastor Yeager, do you you happen to be able to hear me now? Okay, well, we're going to get him on the phone or some other way. But while we're doing that, uh, again, assuming that Pastor Yeager praying for our time together, uh, we'll go ahead and accept that and the Lord's blessings that come from that. Our text today is chapter 25, as I've said, and this is continuing Paul's, I guess, trials is no other way to say it. He's been put on trial, and he keeps going from place to place, having to defend himself. Um, and what we ended up with last time is that the governor that he was dealing with um, left. In fact, uh, uh, Felix got run off, according to Josephus, for being a pretty bad governor. He wasn't able to keep the peace. He wasn't able to uh, do the things that <laughs> Rome wanted him to do. Uh, but even on his way out, verse 27 of chapter 24 says, uh, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, that's the new governor, but desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So even after, even after he had spent so much time with Paul, part of that time was hoping for a uh, hope. Some of that time was hoping for a bribe. But even after all that time, he still wanted to give into the crowds to appease the crowds who were calling for Paul. Um, Brother Yeager, do we have you back on the line?
1: I am back on the line. Sorry about that.
0: No worries. I'm assuming that you just finished praying for
1: us. So that's gonna, right. That's right. We're going to
0: keep on going. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit, uh, he, he knows what we're praying even when it's dead air, so that's good news. Well, I was just sort of catching us up a little bit about, you know, about Felix, the governor, who gets run off because he's not keeping the peace, and now we have a new governor, Portius, or Porcus, Porcius, Porcius, Festus. We'll just call him Festus. So Festus is the new governor in town. And that's kind of where we're at. Is there anything else about the text that you think people should know before we start reading it?
1: Right. Yeah. You know, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. And uh, Felix um, was a bad provincial governor. And uh, Acts 24 tells us that he was open to bribes. He wanted Paul to give him money. Uh, And he was concerned about his standing before the Jews. And, you know, we might have had high hopes for Festus uh, with the sort of changing of the guard. But alas, we find that Festus is going to be no different than Felix. He's going to be also um, uh, wicked in many ways, which we'll talk about here as we get into the text.
0: Yeah, so you would think that, okay, they get rid of this other guy. This new guy comes on. By the way, just for people who are interested in this kind of thing, Festus doesn't last long. I think it's like two or three years. Um, You had Pontius Pilate, who was the governor from uh, 26 to about 36 A.D. Uh, And then I don't have anybody in between then. I'm sure there was somebody. But then we know about Felix, who was from 52 A.D. to about 60 A.D. And then Festus comes in here around 60 A.D. and only— only was a uh, procurator for until uh, 62. So, you know, I don't know that he's any better than anybody else, uh, but we're going to read what happened, starting with chapter 25, verse 1 from the English Standard Version. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Now let's pause right there, uh, brother. This seems to be the same old story, you know, Felix wasn't ever convinced to let him go, but he also wasn't ever convinced to let the Jews have their way with him. Now Festus comes in, and it seems like he's kind of doing the same thing. He's protecting Paul to a certain extent. He's not giving into this plan. Do you think they told him the plan, though? Do you think they said, um, we plan on ambushing him, or do you think they tried to pull the wool over his eyes, so to speak, and were just saying, okay, just you know, send him to Jerusalem, and they and they secretly were going to ambush him. Uh, what do you think?
1: Well, whether the governor knows or not their uh, murderous plot to ambush him, uh, it, it certainly reminds us that the Holy Spirit is in charge here because Paul's life is protected, and that's clearly due to the providence of God. Um, but I would just point out in these first couple verses that uh, two years' time has elapsed between chapter 24 and 25. So we think about Saint Paul has been languishing in prison that entire time. And you might have thought that the murderous hatred of the Jews would have uh died down a little bit over that time, but they're actually before Festus with the same accusations and the same vehemence as before. They they pick up the case right where it left off and uh and they immediately bring up Paul when he goes to meet the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's three days after he gets there. He He's meeting these guys, and they're already like, oh, yeah, Paul. And and I wonder, too, if they maybe gave up for a little while as, as, you know, if they weren't getting anywhere with Felix. But the new governor arrives. They always say, be careful who meets you at the train station. Well, he shows up, and as soon as he meets these guys, these leaders want to lay their case out against Paul. Boy, they just desperately— hate Paul. Of course, we know it's really that they desperately hate Christ, but it just seems so irrational for them to be reacting this way. But I suppose their power's on the line, their livelihood. I mean, I I thought these were the people who should be welcoming the Messiah and the message. Why why do you think Paul had such a hard time?
1: Well, clearly he's bearing the cross. Uh, You know, as we'll hear the Lord say this Sunday, uh, if we're on the three-year lectionary, take up your cross and follow me— and uh, this is certainly St. Paul sharing with the Lord in, uh, in his cross and suffering in the world, just as Jesus was put on trial. So we're going to see Paul on trial. Um, and I would mention, too, that this isn't the first time that the Jews tried to kill Paul. Uh, back in 23, um, we hear of an earlier plot of the Zealots uh, trying to attempt his life. And so Paul evaded that one, too. But this is not the first attempt on Paul's life. Uh, in in which they're seeking his death, and so.
0: Well, there was already that earlier trial under Felix that had already proven that God—I mean, sorry, God—Paul was not guilty. That's the word I was thinking was not guilty by Roman law. Um, so I guess the reason why they're summoning him to Jerusalem is so they can. Put him on trial themselves, so, or at least they're feigning that they're going to do that. They're saying, well, just send him up to Jerusalem. This is an internal matter. It's a religious matter. We don't want to bother you, Festus. Just send him up to Jerusalem. And, of course, they had no intention of giving him a trial. They just wanted to kill him. But it's 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 interesting how after they've failed to get the justice they wanted through the civilian courts, now they're taking it into their own hands. But they're not even going to give him a fair trial in their own you know, arena. They're gonna ambush him. Um poor Paul just has such a you know, he really is bearing the cross for Christ. And and it makes me wonder if as he's encountering all these different tribulations and turmoils, does he think back to his persecution of the Christians? He must. He must think about he must really think that, you know, I deserve this because of what I did to the Christians. Despite his forgiveness in Christ, I, I imagine Paul's the type who really kind of understands that this suffering he deserves it
1: right yeah and it is just amazing how much time and acts we find the Apostles on trial um, you know I made a, a list here of actually all the trials in the book of Acts you know you've got Peter and John before the Sanhedrin in chapter 4 uh, it, before the Sanhedrin again in chapter 5 Stephen's trial in chapter 6 and 7 Paul and Silas in Acts 16 and then Paul before Galileo and Acts 18 um, there's the trial in Ephesus, chapter 19, uh, Paul before the high priest, and then before Felix in 24, before Festus here in 25. And, and it's really almost as if the whole book of Acts is just the apostles on trial. And, and that fulfills the Lord's word in Matthew 10, where he said, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Uh, this chapter is where we see Paul brought before both a governor and a king for the sake of Jesus and to uh, to bear witness to Christ. And, of course, it mean, it's a cross for Paul, but God is going to bring good out of that cross because he's going to use it to get the word of God out into the nations, to the Gentiles.
0: You know, you bringing that up sparks in my mind, you know, these repristinationist Christians, Christians who say— well, the only proper way to worship is the way they did it in the first century, or the only proper way to do church, or the only God-pleasing way to organize yourself, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These repersonations who want it all to be like the first century, I don't think they often remember, <laughs> just like what you said, that most of the book of Acts is them on trial. I mean, there, right. there's a lot of persecution going on, which is an invitation really to proclaim the the message to People in power. But at the same time, it's not a pleasant thing. Languishing in prison for years, in this case two years, only to be uh, tried to be set up and killed and assassinated again. I mean, is that really the life that modern Christians want? At the same time, there is something motivating about persecution, motivating for unity and motivating to be zealous for your faith and everything else. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's read some more text, then we're going to start with verse 6. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. The he here, of course, folks, is the governor. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Well, then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar, you have appealed, to Caesar, you shall go. That's the end of verse 12. So Paul I guess, doesn't probably know what's going on, but knows that he's not going to get a fair trial, is not interested in going to Jerusalem. Instead, he appeals to Caesar. What what does all this mean?
1: Well, interesting there in verse 3, you get this word favor uh, that comes up. that gets repeated in verse 9, the word favor, Festus wishing to do the Jews a favor. And in the Greek, the word is actually grace, but here it means a favor as in a court of law. And and what's the problem with asking a favor in court? Well, there aren't supposed to be favors in court, right? Justice is supposed to be blind. And so um, what the word points to again and again is a sort of partiality where the Jews are going to be using political pressure, bribes. They're doing everything they can to tip the scales in their favor, and the governor wants to um, – concede to them because he's afraid of what they might do. He's afraid of them rioting, just as Pontius Pilate was. And so he's going to uh look for a way to do them a favor, right? Let's send Paul to Jerusalem, and which is certainly going to be bad news for Paul. Um, but clearly verse nine is is one of the places where we see that Festus is not an impartial judge. He's not looking out for justice. He's looking for uh, w- what's going to be expedient? What's going to help him in the eyes of these uh, Jewish people that he's called to govern?
0: We talked about this extensively last time, but th- th- there was if <laughs> there was one thing that the uh, the Roman government feared, and that was um, unrest, riots. Uh, it seems right. like at least in the scriptures, and maybe that's just because that's the kind of trouble the apostles kept getting into, but it seems like there's this overarching emphasis that you know the the government wants to keep the peace at all costs, and as you said, he's wanting to do a favor to the Jews, but I suppose it's because that's the majority it's a lot easier to just punish a guy to appeal to the mob um but isn't that sort of the motivation of people today? How often are people so called canceled how often is christianity defamed how often are our our teachings seen as backwards or bigoted simply because they are not um i guess in concert with the common line of thinking right so the mob rules even today
1: right yeah and there is a common thread that runs from pontius pilate to felix to festus and it's that every roman governor is afraid of what the jews might do and they're so terrified that they're willing to bend justice to to please them and the irony here is that st paul earlier had been accused of rioting well who is the governor really worried about rioting he's not worried about paul he's worried about the jewish leaders right they're the ones that are teetering on the verge of insurrection paul and the christians are peaceful uh but paul gets the blame he he gets to be the scapegoat so really uh, again, I think this is where we see that Festus is not being a, uh, a just judge, as he's, as he's called to be in his vocation as judge.
0: Well, it's just interesting you say that for a lot of reasons, but most of which, again, just connecting it to today. Um, that's exactly what we see. We see how when uh, when the crowds are upset at something, it's a lot easier to punish an individual or individuals, even if they're not wrong than it is to try to quell the crowds. And so mob rule leads to this kind of stuff. Now, we've talked about this in other previous episodes too, but Paul typically refrains from exercising his rights, either his rights as an apostle or his Christian freedom rights for the sake of the weaker brother, or even his political rights. But here, this I appeal to Caesar is something that he's able to do because he is a Roman citizen. Um, He's doing this to get himself out of a bind but um at the same time he's been told by Christ that he'll appear before kings so there's certainly all the reason in the world for him to think that uh, whether you actually get to see caesar in these appeals which is unlikely he's still going to get as high as he can basically he's wanting to go to the supreme court so to speak but um this idea of using rights you know how do how does paul and then maybe how do we discern when it's appropriate for us to Withhold uh, emphasizing our rights for the sake of the brother, or when we should be asserting our rights? I mean, I, I think that's a maybe it's not easily answered, but you understand what I'm asking.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And if you look at verse 10, you know, when it's Paul's turn to speak, he says, Look, in effect, he says, We're in the county seat, and you're the judge as Caesar's representative, and there's no reason to move the trial to Jerusalem. Um, I read something that said that in Roman law, As a Roman citizen, which Paul was, he was in the provincial capital, he was in front of the procurator, the provincial governor, and legally Festus could not have moved the case without Paul's consent, which is why he asks Paul if he wants to go to Jerusalem. Uh, So what this shows us is that St. Paul knows his Roman law, and he's going to use it to his maximum benefit uh, by saying, no way. And I do think a big lesson from that is that Christians ought to know the secular law and be prepared to use it to their maximum benefit. Um, Certainly, you know, even though uh, the the church is not the kingdom of the left hand, but the kingdom of the right hand, that we would know the left hand secular laws so that we can use them to get ourselves out of trouble, uh, just like Paul here.
0: It reminds me of what Jesus said about using, you know, mammon or worldly wealth for the benefit of the kingdom. Same thing here, right? We we shouldn't be saying, okay, well, you know, I have to submit to authority, um, and I have to also then give up my myself for my brother, and it, it makes it feel like, well, then I don't have any rights, and I'm just, you know, I could just be walked over. Like if people live the way Jesus really wanted them to live, wouldn't Christians just get Pummeled by, by the unscrupulous of the world. But but here we have an example of, yeah, no, there are times when you should be appealing to Caesar, right? So, you know, I, I think that this appeal to Caesar probably was put into the law, at least this is what I've read, to kind of guard against corrupt or weak local rulers. Um, but what's funny about this, I like guess cosmically funny, is that the emperor at this time is Nero. So right. he's he's while he's appealing to Caesar, and there's no expectation he would actually go get to talk to Caesar, nobody would, but at the same time, the so-called Caesar he's appealing to is not exactly a, a friendly, wholesome, uncorrupted leader. He's not exactly a benevolent dictator.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, Nero, of course, uh, being a vehement persecutor of Christians, and he would often use them as candles to mm-hmm. illumine the roads, you know, setting them on right. fire— uh, but the, the first five years of Nero's reign, he was known to be a wise and a just ruler. So perhaps it was that mm-hmm. Paul simply did not know that Nero was going to be the Nero of later years. Uh, but again, he uses uh, the Roman law to his benefit in appealing to Caesar, Um uh, interesting i read something that in the us you can only appeal after the case is decided and you you know you're guilty but in roman law you could appeal to caesar even while your case was going on and so here you know festus hadn't made his decision yet but paul says i want to go i appeal to caesar um and uh and and i think part of that too is it's all about getting saint paul to rome right? The Lord told him in 23 verse 11 that he would bear witness in Rome. And so why is Paul being so bold? Why does he want to go to Caesar? Well, he knows that the Lord is leading him to Rome. And wouldn't that be something if the apostle got to stand before the emperor and confess the gospel? Um, we don't know if that happened, but I imagine that Paul would have jumped at the chance uh, to, to have that opportunity.
0: This trip he takes to Rome, which he takes under, you know, chains and leg irons, right. uh, is often yeah. called the fourth missionary journey of Paul. Um, do you do you see that as an appropriate designation? I mean, while he is doing missionary work, it, it's not really under his own compulsion. It's the Lord kind of carrying him along there. Um, do you see this as his fourth missionary journey?
1: I I think it's so wonderful because, you know, in the letters, he's always expressing his desire to go to Rome. I mean, for years and years, he's telling the saints that this is what he wants to do. He wants to go to Rome, and the Lord is going to take him there, but he's going to do so, as you mentioned, in chains. And so uh, I think it's the only life that the Lord has for us is the life lived under the cross. You know, uh, Paul was going to get his wish, but the way that he got there was going to be so different from probably what he imagined. And yet, look at how the Lord used him and his suffering uh, to bring the word of God to the nations. And so, God works all things together for good. It's it's just it shows us that there is no other way than the way of the cross, right? For Jesus, or for us, yeah.
0: Well, it reminds me of something we brought up yesterday, and that is that you know when he's told that he's going to stand before you know governors and kings, and he's going to go to Rome and all this kind of stuff, and it says that elsewhere in the scriptures. You know, I think we often imagine. Yeah, you know, we're going to have to give a defense for our faith before kings, but we always consider ourselves as the guests of honor of these kings. Right? Mm-hmm. I think my guest yesterday said, you know, like we're thinking of a state dinner situation. But <laughs> it, it, but no, it's more of a you're going to be persecuted, brought into chains before kings and then given that opportunity. So, in many ways there is absolutely an invitation um in persecution because you're now being given an audience to hear the Word, and because the Word works uh, when and where the Holy Spirit pleases, but it works upon its own power and volition, you know he doesn't Paul doesn't have to convince these people to be believers. he doesn't have to convince them that he's right, he just has to speak the truth about what happened, let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work
1: right and and you know, I think sometimes as Christians when we are when our faith is put on trial, whether formally or informally, we're surprised you know, and, and just the fact that the whole book of Acts is basically one big trial or trial after trial. I think that this is God's way of telling us that um, we should not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon us. Um, but but trust that when the Lord uh, brings us into that situation, that he's going to use it uh, for his good, for his kingdom. And so being prepared to give a, a reason for the hope that's in us, that's the call of every Christian. That's what you and I um, are commanded to do, you know, when, when, whether formally or informally, we are put on trial for the sake of our faith. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, and, and one thing you said that I had never really considered before, and I'm, this is what I'm taking home at least so far. And that is that the book of Acts is like you said, it's almost like a transcript of all these trials that they're going, uh, going through. And that's not something I've considered before. I think that's a good thing for people to think about. Look at what they're enduring. Uh, Of course, then again, I learned for the first time yesterday that Caesarea was named after Caesar. It never occurred to me. So you learn something new every day. Folks, we're going to go on a break, though. So don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Yeager and I will keep on going through this chapter, chapter 25. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me this morning is the Reverend Andrew Yeager. He's the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church of Preble in Decatur, uh, Indiana. Indiana. Well, uh, friends, it's always a blessing. I, oh, I say this every time after I come back from the break, but I mean it. It's just a blessing to be in God's Word and especially with you. And I love hearing from guests, and I, I'm happy to answer your questions if I can, So you can reach me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. Want to reach one of our guests? Just send me an email. I'll pass the message along. Uh, You can drop me a note just to say hi. But when you do, you know I like to hear where you're listening from and how you're listening, right? Do you listen over the airwaves? Do you listen as a podcast, your favorite podcasting platform? You can head over to KFUO.org. You can listen live or on demand. You can use the KFUO radio app on your phone, lots of different ways. I always like to hear how people are connecting. And, and just in case you're curious, as people reach out, I'm hearing that you're connecting in almost all of these different ways. I've heard from somebody that uses almost every method, so it's great. Well, Pastor Yeager, before the break, we, we just kind of got right to the end of the, the section, this paragraph. Um, things have summed, summed themselves up. He's, he has appealed to Caesar. Anything else that people should know before we move on and see how—we'll see what happens next.
1: Well, I just think, especially in verse 11, what you see is the courage of the apostle, right? He's saying, I'm not afraid to die. He's saying, try me, I'll die if I'm guilty. And just contrast that with the cowardly Festus, who's making a gift of Paul's life to the Jews to save his own skin. And so Paul is operating out of the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Festus, we see he's operating out of his worldly fears and anxieties and uh, And so we, we really should remark, I think, on the great courage that St. Paul um, has before kings here, that uh, is certainly a gift of, gift of the Holy Spirit.
0: Indeed. well, Festus is going to send Paul to Caesar, uh, but he has to know the precise charges against him. So he uses a visit by King Agrippa as an opportunity to ask for advice. Uh, let's continue with chapter. 25 verse 13 Now when some days had passed Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus and as they stayed there many days Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal and I ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had some certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Well, then Agrippa said to Festus, Well, I'd like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. All right, let's pause there at the end of 22. So Festus is in town, King Festus. Uh, Who is King Festus to the governor here? I mean, uh, king of who?
1: Right, so the governor would be Festus. He would be the Roman governor, and then the king would be Agrippa II, And he would be the king of the Jews, right? So Festus uh, stationed in Caesarea Maritima, but there's another Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, which is where the king of the Jews would have been stationed. And that's where King Agrippa II lives. Um, He is, I just kind of researched him a little bit. He's the great-grandson of Herod the Great. The Herods, of course, are known for persecuting Jesus john the baptist agrippa one so the father of the man we're dealing with today uh martyred the apostle james and so these guys were really vicious wolves um bernice was the sister of agrippa the and so these two the king and the queen are brother and sister um so in a, an incestuous incestuous relationship going on there oh. uh apparently she had been a mistress to several emperors um re- that was recorded by josephus and had an on again, off again relationship with her brother. So here it is the Jewish king. Festus is the Roman governor, and that's why Festus is consulting him. Um, it wasn't Agrippa's call to make to judge Paul, but Festus is really being friendly. He's deferring to the Jewish king's authority. And uh, and so we see these two rulers here talking to one another. Um, something I don't, of the I don't same think thing, he's...
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I just oh, want to interject. Sorry. I don't. I don't think he's lying, but right. he definitely is making himself sound, you know, just real nice and judicial, and like he really has considered all these things, and you know, he's taking care of it in the wisest way. He, I mean, I, I get there's some formality here, but yeah, he's definitely making himself look better than he really
1: is. Right. And in verse 16, he cites something interesting with Roman law that all the accused had to be able to face their accusers in person and give a defense before a sentence could be handed down. Um, Roman law was much more sort of advanced. And I don't know, you might use the word like liberal than Eastern civilizations would have been in this way. And I still think that that's law. That's a law on the books today, that if you're going to be accused in court, um, you know, your accuser has to meet you in, in person. Um, but yeah, as, as Festus is explaining all of this, you get the sense that he's a man of regrets, right? He knows that he should have acquitted Paul when he had the chance. Well, now he's got to cover his tracks and justify himself before the king. And he's clearly trying to cast himself in the best light, um, uh, in in verse twenty, he lies. He said that he wanted to send Paul to Jerusalem for further inquiry, when really we know he wanted to send him there to make the Jewish leaders happy. So he's covering his tracks here, uh, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's what I was picking up on because you know he says, "Oh, I'm sending him because oh, and I got him right away because he's a Roman citizen." I mean, some of these things were afterthoughts for him, um, and mm-hmm. yet he makes he makes his case here before the the king of the Jews, who works for the Romans. Isn't that, isn't that fair to say? It's not like they elect a king. He's a he's – a, I don't know if appointed is the right word, but he definitely has – his authority comes from the Romans who allow him to rule.
1: Right, so their counterparts during the trial of Jesus would have been uh, King Herod and Pontius Pilate, right? So just as those kings had a uh, – uh, the governor and the king had a, had a relationship there, that's what we see going on here. Um, And I, I also think it's really interesting just how aloof Festus is to the central questions that they're debating about. You know, Festus doesn't know who Jesus is, and he doesn't really care to know who Jesus is. That's, to use Lutheran terminology, that's kingdom of the right hand stuff. And Festus is clearly a minister of Of God's left-hand kingdom and and all he really cares about is whether Paul has committed a crime against Roman law and it's clear that he hasn't so he uh, he pronounces Paul to be innocent several times throughout this Um, but it also does show that the, the the main dispute between Paul and the Jews was over the question of the resurrection right this Jesus who died is alive that that's at the center of Paul's preaching uh, and that's what the Jews are really attacking here.
0: No, I, I, yeah, and and we've noticed this before that these people, and I, I just I feel like we forget this sometimes. But but this case, this Paul case, is like the most important thing to us because it's recorded in the scriptures, and it's it's uh, you know it's Paul and it's God working through, and it's just amazing. But for people like uh, these these Romans, uh, even the even the King of the Jews, they don't. They don't really care that much, and and he's just one item on their on their agenda, on their docket. Um, and, and I just say that only to just emphasize how it's amazing how God is doing these um these miraculous these um these amazing things behind the scenes while the world just goes on as normal, and we experience that in our life too. You know, life just seems seems to go on as normal, and we get frustrated because we think well. You know, maybe God isn't with us or God isn't working, or he isn't doing something, but he is it's just not always it's just not always visible to everybody. I mean, most people on the planet had no clue about what was going on, but it's so important today.
1: That's right, yep, absolutely, yeah, well, verse eighteen he he just declares he, he says Paul's not guilty of any crimes; they're only having a dispute about their religion and the certain of yeah, right. Jesus, and you know it, he's not really interested in that at all. So, right.
0: Well, let's hear. He says, tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. And verse 23 begins the next day. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us. You see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought to not live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, O King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write." For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. That's the end of our text for today. So really, he can't even figure out what to charge him with. And he's but at the same time, it looks like he's delay I think he's delaying sending him off to Caesar. I, I just wonder, and I'm wondering out loud, is that because, you know, there's a little bit of a consequence for him if he's wasting their time? by sending this guy. He, he insists to go to Caesar, but really he could have been let go.
1: Right. The governor looks really, really bad here. You know, he says, I've got to send him to the emperor, but I've got nothing to say. And, and it's almost as if he's looking around saying, hey, any of you got any bright ideas as to what we might charge him with? And his crisis, of course, is that Paul is not guilty. In verse 18 and verse 25, he clearly declares Paul innocent of any crime But he can't release him because that would earn him the wrath of the Jews. On the other hand, he doesn't know where to begin indicting him. And again, that's another point of Roman law that you can't send anybody before the emperor without any charges. You have to have something, uh, you know, against the man. And he's saying, we've got nothing against him. It reminds me of Pontius Pilate and how many times Pilate says during the trial of Jesus that Jesus is innocent, Right. Uh, and and so again, you know, Paul is just simply walking in the footsteps of the Lord. Um,
0: another thing that we brought out before too, and it's just, it's so clear and it becomes clearer and clearer that, that Paul is literally walking in very much the same path that Jesus walked. Um, and here he is standing before the King of the Jews, who in some ways wants him to perform for him. Right. But you know, he's like, I want to, I want to see him. I want to hear this guy. I'd like to hear the man myself. I don't think that's any other reason besides, of course, I'm speculating here, but I don't think this is for any other reason besides it gives him the opportunity to have all this pomp and circumstance and this, you know, the coming in with the the trumpets and the heralds and just the – it's like why – I think that gives us – we've been talking about the insight into the character of the governors. This gives us insight into the character of this king of the Jews. For him, it's it seems to be all about the pomp and circumstance and legacy, yeah. and, and, and Paul seems to be more of a plaything for him than to really try to settle a dispute.
1: Right. I mean, it, it, you almost have to picture it. There's this climactic moment where you've got the king of Israel and the Roman governor and the heads of state and all the chieftains and the warlords, and there in the middle is little old Paul, and he's alone, and he's a prisoner and unlike them there is no pomp and circumstance with paul there's just the truth in his mouth and it reminds us of uh, psalm 2 right the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed and so all the world is really dialed in on st paul and and what he has to say it's it's one of those sort of martin luther at the diet of of worms moment right here i stand i can do i can do no other um but, yeah, I think to remind your listeners that there will be times when we too are called to make a confession of our faith to the world and uh, and and to boldly and fearlessly confess who Jesus is to those who don't believe in him um and so this is not just a about Paul. this is a pattern of our lives as christians
0: well absolutely and and what do we see him doing? We see him making the best of it he's utilizing the the Cards he's been dealt, so to speak, to be able to make his way all the way up to Rome, which is where he told he was going to go, where he sought and wanted and desired to go for quite a while. And uh, yeah, it's all coming to pass as the Lord says. But to be in the moment with Paul, yeah, it must be. Uh, again, you you mentioned earlier, but it, it's the courage that really stands out.
1: Yeah. And, and we, one more thing, if, if I might, yeah, go if, ahead, if, please. If, if I might mention, Pastor, I think it's interesting in verse twenty-six. Uh, that there's one little word we might breeze by if we don't um, stop and look at it, but it's that word Lord. So he says, I have nothing definite to write my Lord about him. He's using that word in reference to the emperor. Now, I read that the previous emperors declined to be called Lord because it sounded really too high. Uh, But all the later emperors took that title. And so eventually the emperors were called Lord and Son of God and Divine, uh, and Christians were often martyred for refusing to call the emperor Lord. And so really what you have here, I think, is a tale of two lords. You've got the Lord of Festus, who's the emperor, uh, whose servants are unjust and helpless and inefficient, but then you have Paul's Lord, Jesus, uh, uh, whose servant Paul is, and just like his Lord Paul is innocent and yet condemned uh, of crimes that he never committed. And, uh, And this is just really, will the real Lord please stand up? You know, we see here, I think, Paul's Lord being vindicated in the trial of Paul.
0: Oh, yes, indeed. Indeed. And the Lord is with him and has promised to be with him the whole time and continues to show that. Uh, you know, as we look through this, we see Festus and King Agrippa, and we see uh, Bernice is in the picture. We know about felix uh Caesar's kind of involved by name um it just it does seem like Paul is really taking up a lot of the time <laughs> of these of these different rulers um Is that sort of an illusion because it's the only thing that we're focusing on and it's being revealed to us here through Acts. Or was Christianity enough of a problem where the government did dedicate quite a bit of time to, you know, worrying about it, or maybe, or do they just see this still as a Jewish problem that they need to try to get the Jews back in line? How do you, how does it look on the ground to them?
1: Yeah, I, I think that really all the Romans are going to be concerned about is whether or not a crime is committed. You know, we, we think back to the trial of Jesus. You know. Uh, Pilate doesn't care so much what Jesus calls himself. He doesn't care that the Jews have charged him with blasphemy or that he call, he's called himself the son of God. Uh, you know, Pilate's ears prick up when, uh, when they say that he says that he's the king of the Jews, right? Because then there's treason. Then there's, so what the government seems like it cares about is when are you committing a crime or when are you breaking a secular law? Um and that's what we Christians have to look at too in our lives because sometimes there are laws that uh that might be sinful and that we are called to break. Um but yeah, I, I think too that this is just this is just the Holy Spirit's way of getting the word of God out to the nations by using the witness of Saint Paul in all of these um these settings.
0: One of the things that he said specifically is that this is just a religious issue. It's about this Jesus guy and something about resurrection from the dead. Um, obviously, the issue is more than that, but are are these just sort of the Sadducees that are chasing after Paul or, or Pharisees included here because – if it really was just about resurrection of the dead, you know that's kind of where we began this whole thing. Paul got out of a scrape by causing the sanhedrin to start arguing with itself over this issue. So who is it that's chasing him around the countryside the Sadducees, the Pharisees, everybody? Does it matter <laughs> what do you think
1: yeah well i I would say that it's really everybody, you know, going back to the words of our Lord, um you will be hated by all for my namesake. And people who normally wouldn't have anything to do with one another like Pharisees and Sadducees um, can find themselves fellows uh, over the um, their mutual hatred of the gospel we think of uh, what's that one line in the gospel where it says that Pilate and Herod became friends after that day after the day that Jesus was um, was crucified even though normally they wouldn't have had anything to do with one another so, I think that you know the hatred of the world and the animosity that we can expect um, for the gospel is is exactly what we see here in all of these ways. Um,
0: well, I think that's an interesting yeah. point you know it's it's kind of funny being the common enemy uh, Christianity has brought a lot of people right. together, continues to bring people together against us. Um, it's sort of strange when you see the types of bedfellows out in the world mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. people. People groups that are opposed to each other, but we're worse because of X, Y, Z reason or something like that. And I suppose every group experiences that with people who are naysayers against them. But when it comes to the world, it's just amazing how how you know unlikely allies will team up just because it's against the word of God. Satan is is uh, actually pretty good at bringing people together.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep.
0: Well, as we run into the last, uh, you know, 10 minutes or so, eight minutes or so of the program, um, just anything else you want the folks to know about we're headed towards the end next time when we get together, it's going to be actually what Paul says to Agrippa. And we're going to look through that and he retells of his conversion and we're going to hear all about that. And then he's going to set sail for Rome, but anything the folks should know, uh, maybe stuff to take away before we end our program today.
1: Yeah, just to look at this from uh, 30,000 feet, you know, this is St. Paul uh, bearing the cross with the Lord, um, sharing in his suffering here uh, that he might share in his glory there in the resurrection. And and so it is for all of us. You know, there are times where we, too, will be called to confess our faith in the world uh, before those who don't believe in him. And I think that we should not be surprised to meet the world's uh, hatred because the Lord told us beforehand uh, that that they will hate you because of me, but believing, too, that when the Lord brings us into these situations where we're meeting hostility, uh, that he promises to work all things together for good, and that he's going to use our confession of faith um, to bring the word to those that haven't heard it before, just as he's doing with St. Paul, so is he doing now uh, among pastors and missionaries and really all of us who uh, bear witness to Christ in our vocations and our daily lives. And so I think we should uh, try to look for ways where we're called to be St. Paul in Acts chapter 25 in our own lives. And maybe what ways can we pray to God the Holy Spirit for the courage to be able to bear witness and to not keep our our lamps hidden under a bushel, but to share that with people uh, who are hostile to it. Because ultimately, our will is God's will. We want all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, We want everyone who hears the gospel to believe it, uh, to the salvation of their souls. And so may God grant it for Jesus' sake.
0: St. Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the Bible has this consistent message of the Christian life is difficult. It is sacrificial. It is one that is opposed by the sinful nature of Satan and even the world. And yet, Our suffering doesn't compare to the suffering of Christ, and our suffering, whether it be physical or emotional or economic or or political, um, it it just connects us all the more to the suffering of Christ. So I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Andrew Yeager. He's the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church of Preble in Decatur, Indiana. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you,
1: Pastor. Yes, it was a joy. Thank you.
0: I can't wait to have you on again. Folks, tomorrow, Paul stands before King Agrippa and he recounts his life story, particularly the dramatic conversion to Christianity and, of course, his mission to preach the gospel. He vividly describes his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He highlights his transformation from a persecutor of Christians to an ardent follower and defender of Christ. He passionately defends his faith, and as he does this, Paul's discourse captures the attention of King Agrippa, who acknowledges the profound impact of his message. That's going to be tomorrow. And then don't forget that Friday, which is the very next day, is June 1st. That makes it a text, uh, a free text first Friday. That's what we're calling it. Basically, you can tune in to hear something that's a little off the beaten path, not from the book of Acts. We might dip into it a little bit, but you're going to hear the Reverend Richard Davenport. He's the pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church of Fort Smith, and he is author of the CPH book, the new book, Baptismal River. He's going to join me to discuss his book and all things baptism. So if you have any questions for my guest on baptism, you can email them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com in advance, P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. By the way, you're also welcome to call in on the day of the study, call into the studio. In fact, you can call in almost every day we're on. We're on live. Uh, but if you want to call in that day, put him on the spot. I know he'll love it. But uh, ask your questions on the air that way. But either way, give me some questions for him. Otherwise, it'll just be the ones I can come up with on my own. But then don't forget on Wednesday, we'll have uh, finished up Acts and we'll be starting a new study on the books of First and Second Peter. So you're not going to want to miss that. Lots of stuff coming up over the next week. So I pray that you join us for all of it as you are able. Well, until tomorrow, and we continue studying God's word, may his peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.